Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Okay, again, my name is Chris. I'm an alcoholic. In some of the previous uh, the previous presentations, uh, we've had a, a number of, uh, of really good people up here uh, who have lots of experience working, not only working the steps, uh, but working with others, showing other people how to work the steps. And uh, we're, we're um, at a point now where we're going to be uh, covering, Beth is going to be covering uh, steps five, six, and seven. And uh, she has a real, real unique and real powerful way of doing that. Uh, uh, it was... Uh, it was a very, very good presentation up at the Wilson House, uh, and that's what uh, that's what we'll be uh, we'll be getting tonight, I'm sure. Um, you know, in the fifth step, uh, I've had a lot of personal experience doing fifth steps. I've had even more personal experience in listening to them. Uh, it, it's a very, very important step. Uh, and six and seven, uh, six and seven are those those forgotten steps that I think once we uh, we get a real handle on them. Uh, on on how to participate in uh, in six and seven, uh, we really move into uh, a place where we do a lot of growing, and uh, our our quality of life really starts to improve. Uh, there's no struggle quite like the struggle against uh, self-centeredness, and uh, you know we need uh, we need all the help we can get. And uh, although there's uh, only two paragraphs uh, that cover step six and step, step seven in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, in those paragraphs it, it opens up uh, a lot of doors uh, uh, toward uh, toward spiritual growth and toward the uh, uh, the exercises that are uh, that are, are going to be beneficial to the alcoholic as far as trying to find the power uh, trying to find the power uh, to uh, to recreate. Uh, their own lives, and I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to talk anymore. Uh, with this, I'd like to turn the meeting over uh, to my friend Beth. Hey. Hi, my name is Beth. I'm an alcoholic. And uh, steps five, six, and seven. Um, where to begin? Steps five. Uh, I guess I'll start with step five. Um, I know that my first fifth step was. Um, overwhelmingly uh, helpful, but uh, my first fourth step was not uh, the columns that I do now through the book. Um, My first fifth step was done with a person that was not my sponsor, but was my equivalent to a sponsor. She was like a counselor of sorts, and um, what she had me do was write out, you know, a million character defects and how I acted out on them, and then, um, and so I did that. And so in the fifth step, I had to start looking over all these different things, and it's very different from what I know now. But um, but what did come from it was a list of patterns of what I do when I get scared, um, what I do when I get fearful, which basically for me is what everything comes down to. Um, Every resentment, every uh, every wall, every character defect has been a, a protection mechanism against getting hurt, uh, being abandoned, all that wonderful stuff. So um, in the book, it talks about step five at the beginning of into action, which I think is awesome. Um, it talks about on page 74 how we choose a recipient. Um, It says in the book that you can choose a rabbi or a priest or a minister. Um, I believe that that may have been necessary when this book was written. And it may be necessary for your faith if you're a religious person. But I think in order to grow from our steps, we need to do this step with somebody um, that's been through it for for quite a few purposes. for some reason, I've never, ever felt judged when sitting one-on-one with another alcoholic. I know that their story is at least as bad as mine, if not worse. Or so every alcoholic would like to believe. And um, 
also alcoholics, another alcoholic sitting across the table from me is able to see where I'm not quite being completely honest, where I'm not quite letting everything out, I'm not quite doing what I'm supposed to be doing here, and and it's easier for another alcoholic to call me out on that kind of stuff. Um, another reason uh, I suggest always, and I always myself do my fist up with a person in recovery, is because at the end of the columns, the, how, do, how should I set these matters straight, which is uh, the last column on my resentment inventory, is um, is where I make my amends. Um, and I think it's it's really necessary for another alcoholic. I think that most people that aren't in Alcoholics Anonymous would probably brush it off and say, you know, you don't need to make amends for that, you don't need to make amends for that. Um, only another alcoholic who is as sick as I am knows how important it is, no matter how small it is or insignificant it may be for the rest of the world, knows how important it is for me to make that amends. Because if I don't make that amends, I'm walking around with it for the rest of my life. And I actually just had somebody come into my head about a week and a half ago um, from childhood who I never made amends to, and she's been on my mind. So... um, I believe that that uh, it just it truly doesn't go away until it's on the fifth and it comes out on the ninth. Um, the main thing that I'm focusing on talking about tonight is uh, the list of character defects that came out on my fist up. Um, the character defects I needed. Um, the way it was explained to me, and I don't remember who explained it to me this way, was that uh, these character defects are defense mechanisms. I use them to protect myself. And when I was drinking, I needed to protect myself. I wasn't exactly hanging out with, um, you know, really honest, wonderful people. So I needed these defense mechanisms, and they saved my life on probably m- most occasions. And I need, and I use them. But what happened was. It's what's the same with alcohol. If one is good, then two is better, and three is even better, and four is, you know, more is better. Um, what happened with my character defects was that they got to an extreme where if this, you know, if giving somebody a dirty look will protect me, well, then screaming at somebody will protect me more. And so my character defects were completely out of control, and I think it talks about that in the step book, actually. Um, they're characteristics that, that ran extreme. So I'm sitting here and I'm looking at my character defects. And the act of six and seven is really, really simple. Um, but it's, uh, the act of six and seven. The act of six and seven takes up, what, two, two paragraphs? Two paragraphs in the book, which I just think is really funny. Steps six and seven are my favorite steps because they're the steps. I don't know if anybody has ever done this, but I created an ideal woman. This person I wanted to be, I hold her extremely high. She has many characteristics of a lot of people, most a whole bunch of which are actually in this room tonight. Um, and when I get into situations, I look to this ideal woman and I say, you know, how do I want to act? My sponsor calls it creating my own reality. Um, something, you know, step six and seven is where I get to be that person I always wanted to be. I start to take the action that bring me to the kind of lifestyle I want to live. So when I come to I come to the Payless store where I'm buying a pair of shoes and there's a bracelet, there's like a thing of bracelets, and I'm thinking I could steal that because the guy just went back to get a price. I think to myself, is that what my ideal woman would do? Or is that what Beth would do when she was drinking? And I have to make a choice. And I have to take an action. I have to make a decision. I have to make a decision to either grow towards spiritual lines or to stay where I'm at. And um, the experiences that I have had has taught me that the mo- when I choose to stay where I'm at, I wind up getting sick and I wind up picking up a drink. So in step six and seven is where I start to look at all these character defects. And I have quite a list of them, of which I'm going to save you all from. Um, on that list is um, is the big ones, judgmental, criticizing, um, isolating. Those are three of my biggest. And um, I get down on my knees. I say, all right, I look over my fifth step for my hour, 
And I look over and all the work is done and I shared everything and I have this character defect sitting in front of me and I really did take a third step and I really want to carry out God's will and apparently mine doesn't work and no, mine definitely doesn't work and I want a different way of life and that takes up about an hour. And then I get down on my knees with my sponsor and I say the seven step prayer, which is awesome. My creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single character defect, which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Another reminder at the end of that prayer that I'm not in this for me anymore. I'm in this for God. And if I'm following God's path, then self-centeredness is not a part of it. A friend of mine just brought up a very good point not too long ago. You're either self-centered or God-centered. You just can't be both. At the same time, it's impossible. You're either God-centered or you're self-centered. Can't do both. So I thought that was really interesting, and I think it fits in really well. So there I am. I've prayed the prayer, and I'm, you know, feeling a little raw. I'm afraid to walk out of my sponsor's front door because, you know, now, of course, all these situations are going to come up where I need these character defects, or at least I'm sure that there are. So I walk out of my sponsor's door finally, and she, or she pushes me out and says, go home, please. And um, and I'm walking around, and things are going great. Life is starting to change. And there's, you know, I've heard a lot of processes with six and seven, and some people put their character defects on, on um, cards, and they grab a different one every day, asking God to get involved to show you, you know, me, show me how this character defect gets in my life. And and that's great. And you know, uh, my my ego, you know, I grab a card. And I look at it, and I'm like, well, I just don't have that one anymore because I'm obviously much better. So, um, unfortunately, my process of six and seven is always a little bit more painful than just doing what I'm supposed to do. And uh, it's the process of six and seven. And, it, and this is when you're done with the book. This is after your second year after the book. This is when you really start getting into, into you know, you're taking other people through the book, and you're hearing other people's character defects. And... If you're anything like me, you might have gotten a little bit complacent on some of the things you're supposed to do, and you know, and life is kind of hitting, and life is good, and you know, you know, you know, maybe I just you know won't go to a meeting tonight, or you know, I really won't call that sponsee back because you know it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound that desperate, and you know, and I don't really need to sponsor more than two people. It's really too much for me. I, I don't have enough time, and I got sober to live. I didn't get I didn't get sober to live in AA, and. And um, these are the things that float into my head, and, and some people have shared with me that it's floated into their head, too. And um, what happens is that um, we start to get sick. And being alcoholic, when we get sick, we don't realize it. We get sick, and all we can see is that the rest of the world seems to not be doing so well. And, um, and it makes perfect sense in my head. Because I don't know about you, but I've left the house on certain days, and it just really does feel like I'm going to get every red light that exists. This has nothing to do with me. It's obviously the world is having a bad day. And um, and, it's, and that's how it begins. And uh, I have this thing. It's, it's, it's all about flashlights. It's an analogy. And, and um, basically how it works is uh, there's a situation at work that I have to deal with. And um, I don't really want to deal with it. But I'm going to go to work because if I don't get paid, I can't pay my mortgage. So I'm going to go to work. And I go to work and, and the person that I need to deal with um, walks into the unit and, uh, and sits down. And all of a sudden, they get up and they walk out. And I think, things are going my way. I didn't have to deal with that today. I definitely don't want to deal with that. I'm glad I didn't have to deal with that today. I'll deal with it tomorrow, I promise myself, which is always a bad thing. And um, and I go around the rest of my day, and I actually feel really good because I feel like I got away with something. And I always feel good when I got away with something. So I breathe a big exhale, and I go home, and everything's fine. And the next day, I got to work again. So I get up in the morning, and I'm, you know, God, get involved, God, get involved, you know, sense of prayer, okay, God, you know, my life's none of my business. All right, uh, I guess I have to go to work. I don't really want to go to work today, but I'm going to go to work. And I get to work, 
And this person walks into the unit again and um, sits down in the same room as me. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm reading the log or I'm writing in the log or I'm doing something very important and professional. And um, I, I look over and I, and I see this person and um, they get this strange look on their face and they get up and they walk out. So now I'm like, nice. So now I'm feeling really good. I'm like, God, you're you're really awesome. I really didn't want to deal with this, and I, you know, I really don't want to talk to this person. And uh, you know, you just, I was totally going to do it, but you, you took that person out of my life. It must be God's will that I not talk to this person today. So um, I love God's will. Um, so I go home that night, and um, and I have just I have this great night. You know, it's like you know, all my favorite TV shows are on, and you know, my husband made me coffee, and it's just a great night. My life is great, and I uh, couldn't get any better. And the next morning, I'm having trouble getting out of bed. I don't really feel like getting out of bed, and I don't feel like praying today, but I force myself to get out of bed, and I don't pray, and I force myself to get dressed, and I force myself to go to work, and I'm not even thinking about this person at this point. I just don't want to go to work. So I go to work because I like my house. So I go to work, and I'm sitting in the, in the office. And the person comes in, and they sit down, and I look at them, and I don't even remember that I'm supposed to talk to them. But I see a flash of light on their face. And they get up, and they walk out. So I'm like, all right, I'm glad that person's gone. I don't even remember why, but they just make me really uncomfortable, don't want to be around them. But now I'm not feeling so good. And, you know, so I, I wait, you know, I'm watching the hours tick away, and I'm not even caring if I look professional writing in a log, and I'm just like, I'm ready to go home. So I go home, and there's nothing good on TV, and my husband's working with a sponsee, and he's never home, and just, I can't believe it, you know, just whatever. I'm going to lay in bed all night, and I get home at 6 p.m. I'm going to lay in bed all night, make myself some coffee, and uh, I'm going to watch really depressing movie and go to bed. So I lay in bed till 1 o'clock in the morning because I can't fall asleep because I have so much anxiety inside of me and I don't even know why. And I fall asleep and I wake up late and I rush out of bed and I don't even think to pray and I rush to work and I get to work and I'm, you know, I look like a mess, you know, I got bags under my eyes, I'm tired, I don't want to be, de- I don't want to deal with anybody. If anybody comes to me for help today, I'm going to slap them. This person, same person, walks into the room, sits down, and I see a flash across their face again. And they get up, and they walk out. And I look down in my hand, and there's this little flashlight. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Where'd that come from? And why do I have it? But it's cool, so I'll keep it. I put it in my pocket, and I go about my miserable day. And at this point, I don't think I've called my sponsor all week. I haven't talked to my sisters all week. I'm pretty miserable. And I'm pissed off at my husband. But I'm going to go home. And I go home, and I force myself to go to a meeting, and I sit in the meeting, and all of a sudden I can't stand AA. You know, AA sucks. And I don't want to be here. So I go home. So miserable, get in bed, don't even think about praying. Alarm clock goes off, I get up, I go to work, same person walks in. I know, I remember now that I have to talk to them, but I remember I also have this flashlight in my pocket. And I I think to myself, I could talk to them and really put myself on the line, or I could just use this flashlight once, and then I wouldn't have to deal with it. So I decide to use the flashlight. I choose not to reach into my ideal woman, but I choose to use my flashlight. And I shine the flashlight in their face, and they walk away. Except this time they have this look on their face, like, like, kind of surprised, kind of hurt, kind of angry. And I'm like, they're mixed up. Glad I didn't have to deal with them today. And um, I go home, and all of a sudden my life is pretty mundane. It's boring. 
I don't really feel like hanging out with my friends. My sisters, ugh, I'm so glad they're not calling because I don't want to talk to them. And I'm not checking my messages. And I haven't called my sponsees back all week. And I take the flashlight out of my pocket and I look at it. And I'm like, thank God I had you today. Because I'm already having a miserable week. And if I had to talk to that person, I don't think I could have handled it. I think that would have just been the end. I think I would have just blown up and freaked out. So thank you. And I think I will carry you with me all the time now. And so I go back to work the next day and the person comes in. And now I am professional. And my ego tells me that I should be running this place. And, um, and none of these people with all these degrees have any idea what they're doing. So, um, and I have my flashlight. And if any of them decide to mess with me, I'm just going to shine it in their face. Because I'm right. And this person, this poor person, comes in the office, they sit down, and they take the flashlight out deliberately and shine it in their eyes. And they look at me startled, as if, why would I do something like that? They were just sitting there. And I'm like, you need to leave. So I use my flashlight, I blind the poor person, they get up and leave. I go home that night, and I think to myself, wow, that guy looked really hurt. That guy looked really upset. And I don't even know why I did it. And I think to myself, why did I do it? I mean, I know I have to talk to him. And I don't really want to talk to him, but it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, all I really want is to, like, change a couple of days on my shift. It's really not that big a deal. If he says no, I'm just going to keep working the shift I'm working now. And, uh... I decide to pray that night, and I go to bed, and I get up the next day, and I call my sponsor for the first time, and I say, sponsor, I got this, uh, I got this problem, there's this guy at work, and, um, you know, he's my boss, and, uh, I gotta, I gotta, you know, I gotta, you know, ask him for a shift change, and I don't want to, and... I noticed I had this flashlight in my hand the other day, and I, I kind of used it against him, and I don't think it was really that big of a deal, and I'm sure I can handle it myself. All right, I'll talk to you later. Bye. And um, I go to work that day, and I think, you know, maybe I should leave the flashlight at home. Maybe I should just deal with this, get through it, move on with my life. And I think, well, you know, there's all those other people at work that don't know what they're doing. If one of them decides to challenge me, I'm going to need my flashlight, so I better bring it with me. So I bring my flashlight with me. And... um and I start shining it in everybody's eyes. And all of a sudden, I got this flashlight in my hand, and then I'm not even putting it away in my pocket throughout the day because I might need it at any given moment. And it's to the point where if you even look at me the wrong way, I'm shining this light in your eye, and it's blinding. I mean, it's just really, it's, it's not a big light. It's, it's like one of those, you know, small lights that you use to find the keyhole in your car so you don't scratch it up. And um, it's not that bad, and... You know, and, and I'm looking at all these people, and then, you know, same thing happens that night. I go home, you know, whatever. I go to work the next day, and, um, and nobody's talking to me. And everybody's, like, kind of walking around on eggshells around me. And nobody will look at me. And nobody's really telling me what's going on. And I feel all alone. And I don't like it. So, um, so I, I go... Well, at least I got my flashlight. And I go home, and I call my sponsor, and it usually comes out something like this. I feel all alone. I feel totally insecure. And the only thing I have is my flashlight. And she says something very, very simple to the effect of, did you ever think maybe if you got rid of the flashlight, you'd have the other stuff back? Because, you know, after telling the whole story, she says, it seems to me that stuff started disappearing from your life when you got that flashlight. And I'm like, oh. So I get off the phone with her, and I beat myself up for an hour. 
And I tell myself how, you know, I'm supposed to be sober, and don't you know, I have X amount of years, and don't you, you know, I'm supposed to be doing this right, and I'm supposed to be leading by example, and this, that, and the next thing, and then this flashlight, and I don't even know where it came from, and I take the flashlight back, and I know I want to get rid of it, but I don't know exactly how. So I take my flashlight, and I, and I get out my, my fourth, my fourth, fifth step, whatever, the paper. I get out the papers. I start looking through my, my fourth and fifth step, my fourth step. And I start looking down, you know, the 400 million resentments I had on the last, you know, the last big four step. And I start looking down at the, at the character, list of character defects. And I'm looking down and I'm looking down and I see spotlight. You know, the, the big ones that they use and they flash in the sky. That, that was on my, that was on my, that was on my character defect list on my last four step. And I'm like, hmm. That's interesting. Fear of rejection. Oh, that's where that came from. That's why I used to use that. Hmm. I wonder why I started carrying this, this flashlight. And I start to think and I, you know, get my new sheets out. And I start to write it down and I look at it and I'm like, wow. This all came from me being afraid to talk to that man about a few shift changes. How did that happen? And I look at the fourth step and I compare this one to that one. And the columns wind up being the same. The fears are the same. The defect is the same. It's just smaller. It's more manipulative. And I can mani- and I can maneuver it better. But it's the same exact character defect. It's the same exact characteristic in an extreme, but a smaller extreme. So now I'm sitting here, and I start looking over the rest of that fourth step, the old one. And I start seeing spotlight all over the place. And spotlight apparently has showed up in every area of my life. So I start looking at who else did I use this flashlight on. If I use the spotlight on this many people, I probably use the the flashlight on this many people. So I start writing. And then I, you know, I call my sisters and I say, you know, we need to sit down. (laughs) I need to look at this. I I don't know how far this has gone. I don't know how... Many ripples have come from the stone being thrown in the water, and I, I you know, I can't do this by myself. I, ne- I really need to look at this because um, I'd really like my life back. And so I sit down with them, and I find out that I took it out on, I used my flashlight on my husband. I used my flashlight on all my coworkers. I used my flashlight on the kids that I work with. I used my flashlight on the guy at the grocery store because he looked at me funny. I used my flashlight on, um, you know, most of the people on Route 80, and um, and I think about how I've hurt these people, and I think about when I was drinking, how I hurt those people, and I think to myself, this is exactly what I did when I was drinking. Here I am sober, thinking I'm all that in a bag of chips, and one small wrinkle one small choice of action creates all this. My sponsor often tells me that this is a result of your alcoholism. This is a result of your drinking. And I believe that. But when it creeps up like on me like this, I don't see it until the end, until the damage is done. And I'm in pain now. I'm in pain now because I don't like it when it's done to me. I know what it's like. I know what it feels like to have it done to me, and I did that to somebody else, and I get on my knees again, and out comes the seventh step prayer, and this time it's, it's, it's more than just the list. It's just this one character defect that I see how it's harming other people. I am entirely willing to have this character defect removed because I've harmed other people, and on a selfish note, I've pushed everybody away from me, and I have no one to play with. And I get down on my knees, <clears throat> and I ask God to remove these character de- this character defect, and I say the seven-step prayer, and I become pretty village- vigilant about it for, you know, a while to make sure it stays intact. And inevitably, the next character defect comes rolling down the pipe. I have come definitely to believe that, um, yeah, we alcoholics, we get better, but we don't get perfect. And we do all this work so that we can function in society 
as other people function in society. And I have yet to meet a person who is not an Alcoholics Anonymous who doesn't have character defects. So why wouldn't I have character defects? Or is it just the alcoholic, egocentric, extremist thinking I either have all the character defects or I will have none of the character defects? I must either present to the world a complete pile of crap or I must present to the world the shining star. Where's the balance? So in step six and seven is where that balance comes in. I realize that, you know, I still still tend to be antisocial and um, I am still very critical. Um, I'm still very blunt. I'm still very, you know, I'm not as judgmental. I'm definitely still judgmental. But I'm a human being. And I have this ideal woman for a reason. I have this ideal woman so that I don't have to carry around any more flashlights. And I try to think about my ideal woman at least once a day. Because there's always, it's, it, you know, alcoholics are really good with the big stuff. You know, like a tornado comes through and like Alcoholics Anonymous, our members, we show up, we clean up, we help out, you know, we give to others. It's the little things. It's the little daily decisions that we're like, you know, I'm really not going to get any credit for this from anybody, so it's really not that important, so I'm just not going to do it. And it's those little things that I have found leads me to carry flashlights. I don't need these flashlights anymore. I have God's will. I'm following God's path. I don't need defense mechanisms. If I have true faith in God, then I can deal with whatever comes in front of me. And what's sad is that, you know, it's, it's the asking, you know, listen, can I have Sundays off and work on Mondays? That'll just really, that, that's enough to, that's just enough. And um, I don't know. I just, I can't stay, say enough about six and seven. They're my favorite steps. I want, I've never, I don't know. Chris said that they were the forgotten steps. Like, it just makes my mouth drop to the floor. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, those are the fun steps. You know what I mean? Like, the, that's where you get to be the person you want to be. It, you know, it's, you know, yeah, step six sucks. You know, I don't like looking at myself. But, you know, it's, it's you know, it's step six and seven. They, they go together. It's like four and five, you know, and uh, ten and eleven. You know, it's like step six and seven, you know. I don't like this, so I'm going to choose this. And, uh... I don't know. I think that six and seven is something that follows me everywhere I go as much as one and twelve. And, you know, yeah, those are the four that I carry every day with me right now. And in six months, it may be different. But, um, yeah, I think that's all I have. Thanks. Okay, anybody have anything to share tonight? Anybody get rid of all their character defects this week? <laughs> one of the things uh one of the things that I've changed my mind about a little bit and you know that's that's really uh that's really an all press Bulletin, you know, when uh, when Chris changes his mind about something, that's big news. Uh, but uh, one of the things that uh, uh, that I had misconceptions about uh, in the beginning uh, about step, step six and seven was uh, it had to do with with my participation in it. And although I believe that there's uh, a certain amount of participation that's necessary. For uh, for us to make any progress whatsoever, as far as our character defects are concerned, um, I placed way too much emphasis on myself. I had uh, I had gone through the steps uh, with my first sponsor. I had done the uh, the life story slash dirty little secrets slash personality quirk list type of uh, four step that was so so popular uh, back in the late 80s and early 90s and uh, 
I had, I had amassed that uh, wealth of material and uh, shared it with with my sponsor, fully expecting him to tell me, get the hell out of here, you sick bastard. And uh, he didn't. Uh, he actually looked at me and said, that's not so bad. Uh, so I got done with that, and uh, I knew that steps six and seven were looming on the horizon. So basically what I decided to do was, prior to going out and making any amends, which were eight and nine, they were even scarier uh, looming on the horizon, I decided that I would get rid of my character defects first. Which was uh, which was an admirable uh, uh, objective. Uh, however, I didn't make a lot of progress with it, as you can sure imagine. Um, again, there's there's a, a lot of information in our text that basically tells us that powerlessness is our our dilemma. Uh, if we are to recreate our lives, it it, it has to be uh, accompanied with uh, some power uh, coming from an area greater than ourselves. And I believe that today. And looking back on my, I think I spent about a year working on my character defects. Uh, you should have seen me. It was it was really something. Uh, after getting nowhere for like a year, I, I was actually, because I wasn't really working a program, I was actually getting worse. Uh, I, my my outsides might have might have been cleaning up a little bit, but my insides were uh, were uh, were deteriorating because I wasn't participating in a recovery process. I was trying not to be selfish, and I was trying not to swear, and I was trying not to uh, hustle people and lie, and I was trying not to this, and I was trying not to that, and uh, it was uh, it was difficult. I'm not saying that there weren't times when I was I was able to uh, summon up the uh, the determination to not actively engage in, in a very blatant character defect, I, I was. But the underlying cause and condition of my character defect really remained untreated. What I was working on was the symptoms, you know, the outward manifestation of my character defect. That's that's what I was concerned with. I, I, uh, and, and again, um, another reason I think that I spent so much time on six and seven working on my character defects was because I didn't want to go near eight and nine. You know, I figured uh, I'm I'm in stick. You know, what step are you on? I'm on step six and seven. Uh, I'm not going to go pay the money back to Mrs. McGillicuddy. Uh, so so anyway, um, I actually what actually happened to me was around this time when I was making these uh, these these valiant but futile effort. Uh, really to work through the, the program of recovery. Uh, I got handed a set of tapes uh, by this individual who was, he was a tape junkie. He would, uh, he'd listen to anything. Uh, the series of tapes he gave me prior to these big book tapes was a series of tapes by Louise Hay. Now, far be it for me to cast any aspersions on a spiritual giant like Louise Hay, but... Uh, as far as trying to help me with my character defects, a, a Louise Hay tape is like trying to stop a semi with a cobweb. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty tough. I'm like, and uh, there was these uh, affirmation things that you're supposed to say in front of a mirror. And I, you know, I, I'm not real good with affirmations. <laughs> they don't. Really, I'm not real comfortable standing in front of a mirror, mirror saying, "You're a wonderful person." You're a wonderful person. You're a wonderful person for like a hundred times. And I'll smash the mirror before I become convinced I'm a wonderful person. God damn it. Uh, so, so I wasn't, I wasn't real looking real, real, really, uh, real expectant with this new big book series of tapes that this guy gave me. But, you know, back then, I mean, I was spinning dry. I was grasping for anything. So I started listening to these tapes, and these tapes were by a couple of guys from Arkansas. I don't particularly. I didn't particularly care for people from Arkansas. Uh, there were there were older guys. Uh, they missed the whole drug culture of the '60s and '70s, so they weren't cool, you know. And uh, and I start listening to these tapes, and they start talking about a recovery program found in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, and they're actually specific. They weren't sharing in in a general way what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. They were sharing in a specific way. 
they were sharing about uh, how one was to move through these steps. And uh, I remember my first reaction to these tapes was I was pissed. Because what they did was they said to me, they said to me, this is clear as is, is black and white. Chris, you don't have a program. You're going to 12 meetings a week. You're making coffee till the grinds are coming out of your ears. You're driving the kooks from the rehab to the meeting. You know, you're going to the diner and you're eating diner food every night with all the other AAs. You're a secretary. You're a GSR. You're sharing at all the meetings and you're sticking out your hand to everybody. But guess what? You don't have a program. You've got lots of activity going on, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but please don't confuse it with a program. And uh, I wasn't real, I wasn't real <laughs> happy about this, you know, because I thought I was getting straight A's in AA, you know. I really did. I, I was, uh, I thought I was achieving some stuff, you know. I, I was going to more meetings than you were, for God's sake, and stuff like that. So, so anyway, my reaction was a bit negative. However, there's a great section in the book, uh, in the chapter, Working with Others, and it says, if we have disturbed you about your alcoholism, or if you have disturbed the alcoholic about some truth that they may have, about, uh, or they, they may believe deep down inside about their alcoholism, this is all to the good. And they may come after you with a crowbar, but it's all to the good because it's going to get them thinking. It's going to get them thinking, you know. Uh, and the truth will haunt an alcoholic. It'll first piss them off. And they'll get resentments against you. And they'll share about you at other meetings for a while. But then every once in a while they'll come around. And, uh, and they'll realize that, that what you were saying uh, may, may, uh, may, relate to, uh, may relate to their own condition. And that's what happened with me. And about six months later, when I was about ready to commit suicide in Alcoholics Anonymous, doing everything they were asking me to do at that point in time, it was all the fellowship activity. I was, I was fellowshipped out, you know. And, uh, but that wasn't helping my interior condition. That interior condition... Uh, that leads to the character defects, that leads to the alcoholism, that leads to the uh, um, uh, defective relationships, and that leads to the poor quality of life. So I put these tapes back in uh, in the tape player with a little bit more of an open mind, and uh, and I started to to try to access that program of recovery that they were talking about, because I recognized in that message my own salvation. Maybe not because I was going to drink in two or three days. But my own salvation as far as my sanity, my spirit, my, spirit, uh, my, my ability to, uh, to have uh, relationships with other people that don't end like the Hindenburg going down, you know, and, uh, and other things that I was kind of looking for and uh, I saw other people having. Um, again, when I started moving into my character defects, uh, I need to identify them. And I need to work with God. Uh, I need I need to allow God to to do uh, to do His work as far as my character defects are concerned. Um, uh, I love I love uh, Beth's analogy of the flashlight because that that brings home uh, such a great example of how how our character defects are operative, especially with personal relationships. And sometimes we don't even know it. And they are. They are uh, 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 habits that we've, we've sometimes created when we are drinking alcoholically. Listen, if you're drinking alcoholically, you have to behave a little bit different than Uncle Fudd. You know what I mean? You have, you have, to, uh, you have to be able to keep people away when you need to keep them away. You need to be able to keep people guessing when they're trying to figure you out. You need, you need to keep people away from your ability to put alcohol in your system, and you need to find out who you can hang around with who is not going to interfere with your alcohol consumption. And you need to, have to, lie, you need to know how to lie, cheat, steal, and convince your family that you really have good intentions while you're burning their life down. You know, so... Um, 
So these, these, these character defects are, are rampant. Uh, it's wonderful when you, when you uh, come in, when, when you're working with a newcomer, and they, when it gets to character defects, they're, they're curious as to what theirs are, because they, they're not really, you know, they're, it's not really coming to their mind exactly, uh, real clearly, uh, their part in, uh, in the, the, the travesty and trauma that, that has become their life. Uh, you know, they're still looking for uh, uh, outside causes and not, you know, not, uh, they're certainly not looking inside for any of those causes. Uh, but, but as you slowly start to awaken, you, you, as, and as you slowly start to heal, you slowly start to realize that you truly are sick, uh, spiritually. You truly are, uh, suffering, uh, from a spiritual malady. Uh, and you're in more trouble than you think you are, and your character defects are causing you more harm, <clears throat> harm than you think, uh, think possible, especially in, in your life and, uh, and with, uh, uh, within your within your personal relationships, and when Beth talks about you know shining shining a light on somebody, we have a hundred ways of doing that. We have a hundred ways of doing. It. We do it with our judgmentalism. We do it with our snide comments. We do it with our sarcasm. We do it. We do it uh, talking behind the individual's back. Uh, we talk. We 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 uh, we uh, exhibit it. In all those ways that because we're insecure, we need to feel superior uh, to these other individuals. Uh, you know, we, 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 uh, we have a million ways of, of manifesting these character defects. And, uh, and I think it's part of our, our spiritual growth uh, to confront these things. And again, uh, when faced with head-on frontal assault, some of these character defects don't budge. I'll give you, for instance, I have an exercise in here I would like everybody to do for this next week and then come back and let me know how it went. For this whole next week, I don't want anybody in here to be selfish in any way. Okay? All right? And get back to me next week and let me know how it went. That'll show you just how much power you have over your character defects. You know? I'll last until I get home. <laughs> then I'll say, Mary Beth, you know, uh, I swear. So, uh, and we have another way, we have another way of, uh, of kind of avoiding, uh, avoiding uh, the issue of the flashlight. And I'll, I'll give you, for instance, here's, here's an analogy, here's, a, here's a, uh, a story that'll illustrate this a little bit, I think. Little, uh, seven-year-old kid starts to get a toothache. You know, it's about six o'clock at night. Starts to get a toothache. And he thinks to himself, you know, if I tell mom I've got a toothache, she'll get me some aspirin. And, you know, I'll be able to watch my TV program and then go to bed without any problem. But you know what? The kid doesn't do that. The kid uh, uh, doesn't tell mom he's got a toothache. You want to know why? Because he knows that, yes, he will get the aspirin. And he will be able to watch his TV program. And he will be able to sleep that night. But you know what? You know what's going to happen tomorrow? Tomorrow he's going to the dentist. He's going to Dr. Mengele, the dentist. And this guy is going to pry his mouth open with these giant stainless steel forceps and start drilling with this rotary thing that makes smoke out of his teeth. And he's going to have giant shots, needles about this long, jammed into the side of his mouth. And you know what's going to happen at the end of that visit? He's going to walk out of a people like this with perfect teeth. All the problems in his mouth, every single one, not just that toothache, but whatever else the hell is wrong in his mouth is going to be fixed too. And you know what? He doesn't want perfect teeth. He just wants he just wants the pain to stop. And a lot of times we approach our character defects like this. We don't want to be saints, for God's sake. We don't want to be character defect lists. How are we going to get laid if we get rid of all our character defects? You know what I mean? Come on, please. So, 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 so we worry about. So we worry about. Uh, the character defect that's causing the most trouble right at this point. Oh my God, you know. 
Uh, I've got the I've got the flashlight shining on this individual. It's a, you, you you have you have a light show behind your head too. You know what I mean? But but it's it's the flashlight that you're worried about. So we don't want perfect teeth. Uh, we just want we just want the pain to stop. And that's why it's like a lifetime job. Uh, it's 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 really and truly a lifetime job. Uh, this this character defect thing. And uh, I was talking last night, and uh, uh, I really believe this. I believe that we're 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 in a pass fail process here. You 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 pass by uh, growing spiritually, and you fail by deteriorating spiritually. And drinking may or may not come into play. And I believe that we're we pass by being willing and making an effort. And I believe that we fail by knowing that we should be doing some things and not doing them. And making basically a conscious or even unconscious decision to not do them. Uh, I truly believe it. Um, I have seen people in Alcoholics Anonymous that should not be sober. They are the biggest flaming assholes I've ever met in my life. And I'll tell you what, if I was doing half of the crap they were doing, I'd be drunk as a goat. And the only way I can even imagine that they're being able to, they're able to stay sober is they've got, they've got character defects, absolutely, you know, but they're working on them. And it may not be at the pace I would like, uh, but, uh, but they're working on their character defects and they're making a demonstration and they're making an effort. And you know what? The grace of God is on them. And they're able to, uh, stay away from the, the drink or the drug. It really is all about how we address how we address uh, the way we operate. Alcoholism is our problem. Spiritual living is our solution. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.